When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Up and Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we talk public lands and upland birds with backcountry hunters and anglers. Welcome to the show for episode number 94. Presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app today and use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, out in the field, how you prepare determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance, so when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything. 
that is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gumleaf USA, high quality, handcrafted premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. We're on the verge of springtime around the country. Some people are probably already there. We got a ways to go. We got some snow to melt up here in the North Country, but you can bet my Gumleaf boots will be seeing heavy, heavy use in the upcoming wet and dirty season. We'll be out there chasing spring birds soon enough. Head over to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% from your order from Gumleaf USA. And by CZ USA Shotguns. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. CZ has a shotgun for you. Head over to cz-usa.com to find out more about all the shotguns from CZ USA. And by Turnbull Restoration Company, the most recognized name in antique and vintage firearm restoration. You know, I haven't gone down the shotgun restoration path yet, but it's definitely something I've thought about. I mentioned it to my good buddy, Greg Elliott, who knows guns and vintage shotguns better than most people that I happen to know. Greg said he hadn't thought about restoration much himself, but he did say that were he going to consider shotgun restoration or recommend it to somebody without being prodded at all, he said Turnbull Restoration is the company that he would call without hesitation. So in my mind, if it's good enough for Greg probably good enough for me and it's probably good enough for you they've been doing it for over 35 years they're trusted experienced and they know what they're doing head over to turnbullrestoration.com to learn more and finally buy dakota 283 kennels kennels built to last a lifetime one piece rotomold design frame steel door everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip I've got the G3 medium in the back of my Toyota and I might have another one in there pretty soon head over to dakota283.com to check out their kennels and all their products today all right this week's winner of the project upland podcast giveaway is keith m from wyoming keith sent us some feedback some comments on the show and we really appreciate it keith has a t-shirt headed his way very soon anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway all you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show you can do that by leaving us a rating leave us a review in your podcast app click those little stars and leave us a review subscribe to the podcast share the podcast post or send us some feedback or guest suggestion like keith did we'd love to hear from our listeners you can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com all right we're going to jump right into today's interview this is the second of two interviews we recorded while at pheasant fest this one is going to be backcountry hunters and anglers centric we've got three gentlemen on the podcast today that are all involved with bha in one way or another jason meekoff upper great lakes coordinator matt lee vice chair for the minnesota backcountry hunters and anglers chapter and mike nadusky board member at large for the north carolina chapter we chat upland birds we chat public lands we talk pheasant fest and we're going to jump right into it hope you enjoy it let's welcome into the conversation and onto the project upland podcast jason meekoff matt lee and mike nadusky good with me <laughs> yep, yep perfect i can hear you Excellent. all right guys well we're here in minneapolis uh we got actually a pretty sweet little spot to record this podcast we're at the convention center the clock is winding down on pheasant fest 2020 it was uh it's been a great weekend we're here with some cool people we're gonna have a little conversation before we have to start breaking down the show it's been fun we'll uh 
We'll start to my right here. I've got Mr. Mike Tedusky, a former guest of the Project Upland podcast. How are you doing, man? Fabulous. Thank you so much for asking me to sit down and chat. Appreciate it. Uh, what brings you to Pheasant Fest? Uh, yeah, so I'm here uh, for a couple of things. The biggest piece uh, is here working the NAVDA booth, uh, North American Versal Hunting Dog Association. Uh, I'm a NAVDA judge and a big supporter. have been a member for a little over eight years. also work on our social media, so good opportunity to get content, see a lot of dogs and a lot of products. Yep, and uh, as will be evident after we introduce our next two guests, this, this conversation is going to be pretty BHA-centric, so talk about your relationship with BHA a little bit. Yeah, I've been a BHA member at least six years. Uh, I probably should go back and figure out what that number is. Uh, I was a founding board member for the Wisconsin chapter and then uh, a couple years ago moved to North Carolina and I'm a founding board member of the North Carolina chapter. Cool. Jason? Uh, Jason Meekoff. I'm the Great Lakes chapter coordinator for backcountry hunters and anglers. Been a member for around that same amount of time. I, uh, origin- I was one of the, I was the original chair for the Michigan chapter before I uh, moved into uh, an actual gig at bha and uh yeah so what was what was i think you and i have maybe talked about this but what what did bha look like the time you came a member and then it sounds like you were pretty quickly became a, a staffer with BHA. yeah so when i started uh i started the michigan chapter started the same year the wisconsin chapter did okay. and like the michigan chapter when i was on was the chair when i first started there we had uh 52 members in the entire state and now there's 1,800, 1,900, almost 2,000 members in wow. that state. And uh, growth has pretty much been like that around the country. So I know in like 2016, there's like 8,000 members in the country. And now there is over 40. So it's yep. skyrocketing growth rate. So, yep, yep, pretty wild. And last but certainly not least, I'm Matt Lee. I'm the uh, vice chair of the Minnesota chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, I volunteered to head up setting up the BHA booth here at Pheasant Fest 2020, which has been a fantastic undertaking and a great opportunity for us to reach out to people with public lands. So, Awesome. Thanks for what you do for the Minnesota chapter, which I am now a member of, Matt. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks for signing up. <laughs> I, uh, I signed up sometime last year, and I recently renewed via my uh, ticket to the public grouse showing last week. So. That was a fantastic showing. We we filled a theater, about 200 seats in uh, North Manhattan, Northeast, I think it was. Yep. The Heights Theater. Yep. Where, uh, obviously, I, I, I was heavily, I shouldn't say heavily, I was involved in knowing when and where that was going to be, talking to Jason, but how did the chapter go about kind of deciding and putting on that event? Well, several of us got invited to uh, Donnie Vincent's opening of his last film, uh, The Other Side. Okay. And uh, so we'd been in that venue. We knew that it it had a great feel of an old small town theater and it's just a great opportunity to sit in an old theater to see an event and a film like that is just yeah fantastic yeah well i i definitely appreciate it obviously i'm very biased towards any uh, films that project upland makes but that was the first time i ever got to see one of our films on a big screen like that and I really thought it was a great venue to have it. It was cool. The viewing experience was great. The sound was awesome. You know, the, a lot of times you can have a place with a great screen, but the sound is kind of so-so, but yep. the, that was awesome. Um, and more importantly, almost 200 people were there to see it, 200 bird hunters to come on out and watch a film about grouse hunting and listen to some messaging about public lands. It was pretty cool. I mean, none of us really knew how that was going to go. You know, yeah, yeah, like when we, you know, the planning and all that stuff was like, 
we were hoping we could like get a hundred people to these shows around the country, like each one, you know, and yep. uh, to have like the opening night in Minneapolis with you there, and have like you know the I was looking at the ticket sales the day, like the couple days before, and it was just like growing leaps and bounds. Yeah. Like a week before, there was like a hundred tickets sold, and by the time the show was actually going on, there was like two hundred. So it was like yep. it's uh, really started to build on itself, and uh, I think here tons and tons of awesome feedback about the film like yep. uh lots of folks have come up to us at the show and been like i'm a member i bought my ticket i because i bought my ticket right. to the public grouse thing and that was like super awesome show and yep. really like to do that kind of thing in the future so, yeah that's been fun we've we've certainly heard some of that feedback we're just across the aisle from you guys here at pheasant fest it's been it's been a really fun couple of days but you know pheasants forever did a film event earlier this week and and the same night that you guys had a pint night too, and it was, you know, again, that's that's like three events in three upland bird hunting focused events in one week in the same city. And I think would you have almost a hundred people? Yeah, we one? had over a hundred, probably closer to one hundred and fifty. Yeah, you yeah. guys had what did you? PF the, had over two hundred people there. Yeah, exactly. It was packed. Yep. And so. I mean, obviously, pheasants, pheasant fest, and quail classic is bringing a lot of people into the area. People were looking for stuff to do, so that was part of it. But again, I mean, a lot of people coming out to a little bit different style event, coming out to basically talk about shared passions, upland birds, conservation, public lands, all that stuff. I mean, the, the theme here at Pheasant Fest has been really cool. The vibe's been been great to see it. From a BHA perspective, you guys are obviously bigger than upland hunting. There's there's very you know parallels in in what the organizations do but just talk about sort of some of the reasons why you thought hey we want to be at pheasant fest um you know we're like pheasant pheasants forever is an awesome partner um you know there'd been a lot of talks with howard and land and all that about like doing this event and then you have like this is the first year they've done the public lands pavilion Mm -hmm. so it's a whole area in the show that's dedicated to like public lands public land companies that focus on public land stuff um organizations like us rgs sportsmen for the boundary waters and it's like a great opportunity to have an entire section of this focused on public lands when you know a huge portion of like upland hunting around the country yep. is primarily a public lands thing. Yep. Like I'm, I live in Michigan. You guys are from Minnesota. Like if you're going grouse hunting, you know, it's almost all on public land, like very high probability. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, it's very similar, at least, you know, public access stuff out, you know, in Dakotas, Minnesota and stuff like that for pheasants. Like yep. upland hunting is just, frequently is just a public land pursuit so being involved with things like this and pf being a fantastic partner it just it was perfect sense yeah there was a lot of collaboration a lot of great organizations i felt like came together this weekend in celebration of habitat conservation public lands i mean we had the the panel discussion yesterday with Ben Jones from the Rough Grouse Society, Lantani from BHA, yep. Whit Fosberg, TRCP, and Howard Vincent of PF, all four of those guys, I mean, four of the biggest names in conservation, up talking, you know, did a little bit of Q&A, and then they were taking questions from the audience. I mean, it was phenomenal. Yeah, and that, that it, was, it was a packed, uh, it was a packed house for that talk. And yeah, it, it was, uh, it was great. Howard, Howard hit it, on, hit it on the head for his demographic in a way that I hope that message gets out there. You know, he's really pushing to youth and that it may not be the way you hunted. These people may not be joining hunting for the reasons you hunt. 
but we need to be accepting of them. Yeah. And he was saying we as in people my age. You know, we need to encourage these people to get out there and embrace them rather than, yep. you know, just talk about how they're not doing it how I did. Yeah. It's not how I learned when I grew up. Yeah. And I've worked with some mentoring programs out there for young adults and, and even middle-aged adults. There's a lot of barriers that we're not aware of that were just put out of the way for us when we were younger. You know, I was sent a gun safety, hunter safety course. Didn't have an option. It was Saturday and have fun. Yep. You know, when did that, that was knocked out of there. I was taken to places. We hunted tons of public land when I was a kid. So by the time I got into high school and college, I knew what I could hunt and what I couldn't. So it's to help people knock down those barriers, to help them, you know, whether it's through a local war movement, whatever it is they're choosing to do, whatever their reason is for getting out there. We all need to respect that and then encourage them and show them, you know, this year I worked with the hunter mentor programming um, with Pheasants Forever on a project they did where they brought 10 people out to the field that had never hunted before. We did a lot of classroom work with them. We took them out to the chap range, had some shooting coaches with them, and NAVDA was there as well with some dog handlers. We took them out on a game farm and got them out and got them shooting birds. And just witnessing the joy, the pure joy these people have, I encourage anyone to just get out, take someone new hunting for the joy of watching someone else learn. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, not the time to be at odds with each other. It's no. it's the time to be accepting and get people out there. Um, interesting. I, I'm picking up a little bit. I don't know this for a fact, Matt, but I'm picking up like you've done some work with Modern Carnivore. Yes. And I hear you talking about. Yeah. So I've done some of the, some of the video projects that uh, Market Modern Carnivore has done. Okay. Um, I've done a little work on whether it's sound sound stuff on some of the projects, a little bit of uh, second camera work, um, and then I've been involved with some of his webinar, you know. Uh, programming side of it yep. just making sure everything's up and running so he can focus on what he needs to do so it's it's been really good to be involved with those programs yep um circling back on that pheasants forever hunter mentor program what were like any any takeaways like because like i think a lot of us and mike you can speak to this a lot like a lot of us are trying to we're scratching our heads on this r3 thing and like what works what doesn't work any anything stick out to you you know one of the things i did a couple of people asked you know where, what next where can i go I gave up some of my best hunting spots within 45 minutes of the Twin Cities metro area yep. to these people. I said, here they are. They're on the map. Go walk these areas. You know, Because to me, a, a successful hunt for a person isn't actually shooting a bird. It's getting out and seeing birds. Yep. You, know, you send them to some area that's mar- maybe marginal, more difficult to hunt, or you have to have some knowledge of the bird or the habitat to find the right location to get birds up. Yep. That makes it harder for people when they're not necessarily going to come back. But if you can put them in an area where you know the birds are funneled down, you know that if they just walk the edge, something's going to get up and they're going to have an opportunity. That, to me, is successful hunting. And I think we need to be more willing in sharing what we know about the sport, whether we're with these people or not. Let them go out and hunt our public land spots. Yeah, That's a, an interesting sentiment. That's something that actually the our creative director, AJ also talks a lot about that. I mean, we have to be willing to share as much information as possible. Again, I mean, the numbers in general are showing this downward trend. I mean, it's, it's, it's time to pull out, you know, not pull any punches. Like you got to do everything you can to inform these people, educate them and help them be successful because it takes a lot of boots on the ground and it takes a lot of effort, concerted effort to be successful, to get to the point where you're like Mm self-sufficient, right? Like you, you need somebody to lean on. Yeah. So I actually worked on the back end for that event uh, from the NAVDA perspective. Now it has a, a, relationship with with pheasants and quail forever uh from the hunter recruitment aspect and so for that event uh, i was responsible for recruiting all the dog handlers and knowing what they wanted to do with that event i purposely 
shoulder tapped folks to go be the guides and the dog handlers for that so that new hunters would interact with people that were also somewhat new to the game while they had um, very well trained and, and high performance you know hunting dogs from from being in the navda system you know uh, i think about uh aaron Coson from uh from rock creek kennels you know she is a young lady who's got a bang up poodle pointer and she goes out and is, is meeting some of these folks and she's a newer you know you know in that in that space and you know is really a, a representative of you know you know and a marker for those folks to see this person and go well if you can do that and you're like me I can go do that yep. you know like you're you know we've been hanging out with with Marissa Jensen right like like that story of I'm I wasn't this and I might have even been anti-hunting in uh, in moving through that particularly through bird dogs uh, is something that's very very powerful um, and you you hit on a great point I talked about this yesterday um, I give a talk on uh, the power of, of experiencing a well-trained hunting dog uh, in in one of the slides that I had it was uh, these three women so uh, Carol Trahan the uh, wife of Dave Tron, the president of Navda, uh, took took these two women hunting. They'd never been hunting before, and they had their their versatile dogs out there. And they went hunting. And there's this photo of them in this grouse cover at the end of the day, the sun setting, that beautiful orange glow. And they have these huge smiles. And I said, Carol, did you shoot any birds that day? Nope. You know, but it was did the shoot power of. I think they did. Okay. You know, but but the power of like. They were just out there and having an awesome time, yeah. you know, um, and, 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 a, and a, I think a big part of that, you know, you talk about the difference piece, you know, that took a woman in the space recruiting other women and saying, hey, let's go together, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, we're a bunch of dudes sitting around this table, right? And so yeah. we can come up with ideas, but, but, you know, for women or, or folks of color, I think that's an interesting uh, opportunity to, to work with, you know like folks and have a, a different experience because that's not our experience, yeah. right? Like I grew up hunting. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I talk about that all the time, you know, having the easy way in the easy entry into hunting. It was, it was taught to me, you know, and I hunt differently than I, than I learned when I was growing up, you know, I've got in, I've kind of found things on my own and discovered things and kind of go about it my own way. But I had that start, that intro, which is obviously that's, that's yeah. the important part about it. Matt, I'm I'm curious. I, I feel like I know these guys a little bit, but I want like you're a Minnesota guy, right? Born well, and raised? No, oh, not at okay, all. Okay, Absolutely right. not. I grew up in the uh, Northwest Iowa, oh, Vista really? County. Okay. okay. Um, so my experience was mostly pheasant hunting growing up. Okay. My first, I remember the first time I, my dad said, oh, "We're going hunting." Oh, okay. I was so excited, but I didn't know what was going on, and we got out there, and me and my best friend growing up, we're out there. And First birds flush, guns come up, shooting starts, and we both hit the deck. You know, just <laughs> flattened ourselves. It yep. was the scariest thing we'd ever been involved with at that point. But from then on, I was hooked, you know. And then a couple of years later. Did you far, have dogs back then? Uh, we had family, some friends that had dogs, okay. but a lot of it was just beating the bush. Sure. You know, one of the reasons they bring us out there is because we're two more sets of legs yep. walking along. We didn't carry guns. I was probably eight, nine years old when that started. Didn't. Twelve, I started carrying a gun and had a great season that first time I remember shooting six birds over the first weekend out where I was able to actually shoot. And, you know, I still remember that first bird not shooting at it at all, not having a chance at it because I stepped on it, you know. Yep. And I don't know how many people out there have been pheasant hunting, but when you step on a pheasant and it cackles at your feet up through your line of sight, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to crap yourself and watch that bird fly away. And, you know, every three, four years, if I don't get out enough, that first bird, 
that still happens yeah. to me every now and then they'll catch me off guard and i love it it's it's just it's just a rush but so i grew up in northwest iowa and uh, when i was a 17 year old high school student we moved to western minnesota where my dad bought a grocery store and so i pheasant hunted out there and didn't do as much in, through college in north dakota i know i blew that opportunity but uh <laughs> coming back when i was 20 eh, 23 24 we got a got a lab and so I spent the next 14 years hunting with that dog, and that was just amazing. And so I'm in between dogs right now. Okay. Um, haven't been able to get out the last as much as I'd like the last couple of years simply because it's just not as fun for me. Yeah. I mean, I know where I, I know where I can go right. without a dog and kick up birds and have good luck, yeah. but it's just not the same. It's not as much fun without her. And, and Is there a different form of, of hunting and or fishing that's taking up more of your time right now? Um, so I started deer hunting okay. five years ago or so, you know, but for me, it's I applied a lot of that knowledge that i learned upland hunting i okay. mean i yeah. the first year i went out deer hunting all i did was go to one of my pheasant hunting spots set up on some deer trails yeah. and wait for sunset yeah sure enough five minutes five ten minutes before the season shut off for the day yeah boom had my first deer yeah. you know it was it was simple but again that's all knowledge that i gained because i'm an upland hunter yeah and so i think that's repeatable for a lot of people i think small game really is the way to get people into hunting i know i've been involved with the dnr's deer hunting mentor program the last two years and uh, I really think small game is easier to get people out there and get them engaged. You know, it's pheasant hunting is more active. Grouse hunting is more active. It's just convincing someone to go sit in a deer stand, mm-hmm. freezing cold, early morning, you know. Have to be quiet. You have to you be can't quiet. Talk to each other. And I'm fidgety. I'm a horribly fidgety. Yeah, me too. I'm fidgeting right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And, and my, uh, my uh, mentee ended up actually is my wife now. Um, we were dating before that. So didn't meet her in the program, but, uh, <laughs> just for the record, just for the record, but you know, it's just been a fantastic working with new hunters over the last several years. Yeah. And my, my favorite hunt actually, um, Ashley Peters, who's, you know, a new, new hunt, newer hunter here yep. spoke at Pheasant Fest. She, uh, we interviewed her on the project. Perfect. Podcast. Yep. So nice. I was going to meet up with her and some of her friends and she canceled. So I ended up dark morning, 5.00 AM, 5.30 in the morning, meeting up with three women out in Hutchinson, Emmy Morier of uh, Pheasants Forever, and uh, Julia Schrankler. And, Dude, uh, was this Ashley's first hunt? No, this okay. wasn't. This was okay. with some of her friends. Okay. They had dogs. Emmy had her dog, and uh, Julia had her dog, Ren. Okay. And uh, we went out, took, took them out to some of my favorite public and private spots out in Lackaparle County. And honest to God, that is the best pheasant hunt I think I've ever had since I was a kid hunting with my dad. Just it was so much fun watching those dogs work. Ren is one of the best, best short hairs I've ever seen hunt. You know, and I'm not a NAVDA guy. I haven't hunted with a lot of NAVDA dogs necessarily, but Ren is amazing. And, and Emmy did a wonderful job training her dog Lux. And to watch these women out there learning how to work their dogs and me being able to take them to spots where I know there's going to be birds. And I've hunted these spots time and time again that I know where the birds are going to be. So I know where to be ready. I know where to get them ready. So they have an opportunity to success as well. It was just it, it, hands down, even though I missed the last six birds or five, three birds, six shots. I, uh, yeah. I put on a terrible shooting display after. <laughs> I suspect everybody at this table has done that yeah. a time or two. <laughs> Welcome to my season. <laughs> deer are great. Like Midwestern folk. Yeah. Like white tailed deer turns into like the king. Everybody does, but uh, like smaller things are much more like approachable. Like, like I do a lot of turkey hunting, 
like I give myself like a day to go turkey hunting for myself and then I spend the entire rest of the season taking other folks out. And like you can move around, you know, you're running around the woods, there's a lot of t- like birds gobbling, all that kind of stuff and like it's way more approachable and like my wife even is like has decided she wants to go uh, turkey hunting this year and like it may sound stupid but to a lot of folks like and she said, I think I could, uh, I think I could do that. Cause they're kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's one of those things. I think like smaller things are just more approachable. Yeah. Like a deer, like you take a deer's life as like your first animal you ever killed. That's right. like a, that's a big deal. Yeah. Right. It's a big animal. And you walking up to that thing. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a little bit different experience. I think for every, everybody, but yeah. one of the other cool, I mean, you guys kind of touched on it. Like, Upland hunting is an active sport. And I mean, for me, like I, I, I don't consider myself a good deer hunter. I love deer hunting. I, yeah. I, I rifle hunt in, I've done it in Minnesota and Wisconsin. But one thing I love about all the time I spend grouse hunting is like, I see a lot of deer cover, you know, and I follow deer trails yeah. and I pay attention to that exactly. stuff when I'm, my dog's running around, I'm, you see rubs and you find scrapes and you, you get to know the landscape mm-hmm. in a way that, I mean, there's a lot of deer hunters that do the same thing. They scout and, yeah. and they do, and they cover ground and they do the same thing, but I'm like actually I'm grouse yeah, hunting, it's but active. I'm still kind of scouting. Yeah, know? exactly. So it's, it's yeah. As far as like getting to know the woods and learning a little bit of that, like woodsmanship, like how to navigate, how to do all that stuff. I mean, small game is great, great for that. Definitely. Yeah, I've been using deer trails to get through sloughs. Absolutely. Since I was a kid. Yep. You know, it, it, the new people I see that go into a, a, the reeds and just bust straight through there. I'm looking at them like, well, I guess you're done hunting by noon, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, as a grouse hunter, I mean, you, like. That's like the pot of gold when you're in like a super thick cut and you can't, you know, you couldn't like get your hat knocked off and have it hit the ground and then you find the deer trail. Yes. Right. You know, and so you're like, well, I'm just going to stay right in the pocket here and yep. see where this yeah, takes exactly. me. Yep. Yep. I follow the path of least resistance as well. Absolutely. <laughs> and the amazing thing is you find after you do that enough times, you realize the animals in the woods do the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They're using those same trails. The, yeah, exactly. Yep. They're, they're taking the, the easiest path through the cover and that's you know you can do the same thing save a little bit of energy on your on yourself grouse hunt yeah do you do it a lot have you uh it's been a few years i've got a friend who had an english setter okay so we'd go up there a lot but we spent as much time looking for that dog she she couldn't hear in one ear so she'd get turned around pretty easy yeah but uh, yeah i've done a fair bit of grouse hunting up north too just not he was taking a shot at you there for a minute on the, on the setter. English setter, yeah. but I'm, you know, I don't. Oh, get, you're a setter I, guy. I have a setter. Yep. I do have a setter, but I don't like. I don't get too. My feathers don't get ruffled, you know, by the whole breed thing. Like, if you know, you can't. It was. He actually had two dogs from the same yeah. from the same kennel, and they came out of a, a line of dogs that were used in hunt tests, okay. quail dog, quail hunt tests, yeah. on horseback. So they were really free range. They were out there, which. You let that kind of dog loose in pheasant country, yep. and you just sit there and trail the dog by the pheasants flying out of the cover, yeah, kind of a thing. Well, so, yeah, and that sounds like not the greatest bird manners either, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's it's just, and it's a young dog. They, right. It takes time for dogs to learn that experience. I mean, there's yep. nothing there's nothing like hunting over a dog between four and eight years of age. I mean, it's got it figured out. Yeah, yeah. just watching those dogs work is amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, I love grouse. I don't get to do it enough, though, so I don't have a bird dog. Well, you don't travel very much, so. Yeah, exactly. I don't travel too, very much. <laughs> Hardly ever. So Three but, licenses and a shotgun, you should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I usually use other people's bird dogs. They're the best ones. 
Howard Vincent says the same thing. Yeah. Because you know, he doesn't have dogs. He yeah. says, you know, yeah. the best bird dog is whoever shows up. Yeah. That exactly. day. Did you listen to the episode of On the Wing podcast with Howard and Randy Newberg? Yeah. That was fantastic. a fantastic episode. And selfishly, both Howard and uh, Randy Newberg gave shout-outs to the UMD Bulldogs, which is my favorite hockey team. So <laughs> I'm a Duluth guy. I can't help That's it. That's all right, man. Yeah. Someday you guys will get good. <laughs> it's really good that you recruited a UMD coach, though, to set your winning program. I just... <laughs> hey, man, you got to give these guys opportunity somewhere. That's right. <laughs> can't, they can't all grow up to be UMD coaches, right? No, no they can't. Uh, so the public grouse tour is not over yet. Mike, I know you're pretty pretty excited. Yeah. What do you got, a couple days? Tuesday, it's Sunday, so Where fly at? home tomorrow. And uh, Tuesday night in Charlotte, North Carolina will be uh, public grouse. Uh, so uh, we're really looking forward to that. And, you know, we'll do the happy hour thing beforehand and then the filming. And then afterwards, um, myself, uh, Tyler Ross, uh, is another NCBHA guy, um, we're, who are in the film. Yep. Uh, you know, so thank you for that opportunity. Uh, so we're going to give a, a panel with uh, your buddy Stephen Faust, yep. Uh, yep. who's also from big North Carolina grouse hunter. Yep. Uh, so we're going to do a panel on on grouse hunting, particularly in in North Carolina. I'm sure Stephen and I will throw in some Great Lakes knowledge and some some travel knowledge to right. that. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I, I my my joke all weekend was that I was trying to shake y'all down to let me see it beforehand, and <laughs> and here it is Sunday afternoon, and we're getting ready to pack up, and I haven't seen it. So so I appreciate y'all's integrity and yep. sticking to the confidentiality of the film they yeah, were super so. sneaky if you had stopped by yesterday you could have just stand stood in front of the booth for an hour and watched the entire thing yeah nobody noticed i think that that was running yeah. oh I, I knew it was on it's just i had other responsibilities yeah. so i couldn't you know i didn't i didn't you know didn't want to be standing there for an hour and have somebody come by and be like aren't you supposed to be in our booth yeah yeah exactly yeah we so, had we had it on but i know that uh i i told mike that's that's not the place you want to really no. really watch it you, you know, wouldn't so. be able to hear it but yeah, yeah. i've heard nothing but fantastic things so the three of us have seen this yep. your your segment on there okay yep. and the rest of us have and you haven't i haven't yes. that's awesome yeah. that's for you yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> you're gonna enjoy it I, I promise you that much it, it was uh it was well done Thank do you, you know how many people are going to the north carolina event? right now i think we're sitting right around 75 Good. uh and then obviously you know we all know you get the spike at the door that didn't buy tickets yep man. um so i'm i'm excited about that you know hopefully I'd, we'll hit 100 and, you know yeah. maybe more you know, i'd love to guess. be like minnesota yep. uh, and have have double that but. Yeah, you, Jason referenced it earlier, but we the ticket sales for the Minneapolis event went way up in the last couple of days. Yeah, and, last couple of days the ticket sales spiked yep. a lot, and uh, yeah, it's there's still a few more events left this month. You've got I've got one in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, um, down 20, Cincinnati, twenty second. Yeah, the twenty second. Okay. So it's coming up next Saturday. Yeah. So that one's going to be really cool. Um, yeah, the Cincinnati one's going to be fun. Those uh, Ohio folks put on a good show yep. so yep i've talked to a few people that are going to that one they're excited about it and then i i don't know if we've discussed this on the podcast or if i mentioned it in an intro but i think it's pretty pretty clear that there's going to be an encore tour of public grouse events more than likely there's going to be some secondary events yeah that's what i hear uh there's going to be uh from my understanding definitely a uh, encore tour and uh there's a because there was a fair quantity of states that like weren't in the twenty first twenty yep. uh, showings that were like we'd really like to have this too. So yep. I know uh, there's some talk about you uh, being involved in putting one up 
in your hometown there. So. Yep, yep. We're going to show it in Duluth if we if we have the option to. If it's green lit, we're definitely going to show it in Duluth. And I think it's probably going to be up to like willing and able chapters. Right? Yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. So we're trying to work that out. It's it's on our it's on our radar. Yep. Um, we're looking for some volunteer support up there. And since yep. we have a new member of Minnesota's BHA chapter here at the table, maybe we can hit get him to head up some <laughs> of that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Setup yeah. up there. No, you have you have <laughs> you have my full commitment in Duluth. I've done a few events. Um, I've done a few events for the Rough Grouse Society in Duluth, and I help out with our our local banquet for Rough Grouse Society, and and you know they do banquets, but I've tried to plan a few sort of more less intense, you know, like planning and developing events. Yeah. I mean, it takes work to to do yeah. this stuff, but. I have some I have some partners up there. We've done stuff at Clyde Ironworks. They've been yeah. really really good to us. And the last one we 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 brought BHA in for that. And uh, yeah, if there's if there's things that I can do to help, I'm certainly interested. In, okay. And that's that's why I'm obviously reaching out to you guys. And we're gonna do some cool stuff. I know that there's been some. I mean, the membership I think is fairly strong in Duluth, right? It's it's not as strong as we'd like it to be. That's okay. the biggest thing. So gotcha. I I personally, as one of the vice chairs, think you know it. A lot of the outreach and membership stuff has fallen into my wheelhouse. The other vice chair, he's really good at policy and, and politics stuff. Yeah, he really likes to keep his head Aaron? into that. No, that'd be oh. Eric Jensen. Okay, and then Aaron's a chairperson. So. Okay, but really, Duluth is an area we need to grow. Rochester's an area we need to grow, but definitely Duluth and through the your guys's film. I see a big opportunity for us up there. We just need to figure out when, where, and how. Correct is really what it is. It's yeah. unfortunately. It's always easier for us to grow in the Twin Cities area since, you know, yep. three and a half million out of the four and a half million Minnesotans live here. Correct. It's more bang for the buck down here for us to do this, but yep. we have a lot of important resources we need to protect. And a lot of that's up in Duluth and north, yep. you know, from the shore to e- over to Ely. And, and so um, well, that is one of our focus areas to grow is the Duluth area. And so we really want to work with you guys to get something up there. Yep. It's just finding the people to staff it and do it. And frankly, you know, it's the public Grand grouse film was, would be easy. Yes. It's an easy thing to do up there. It's yeah. similar to setting up a pint night. You find a venue and you show something, you show the, show the movie, you know, planning this event. I think Jason and I spent a significant amount of our time over the last five weeks, including yeah, for, weekly meetings to for plan Pheasant Fest. For oh, yeah. Fest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that's it's a big outlay, it's a big opportunity, and you really don't want to miss that opportunity. Correct. But yep. for you guys, it'll be like sketch, setting up a pint night. Yep. With a film showing. Yep. So. Yep. Nope. I've already got I've got the idea for the venue that I want to do it. We got to do some make some phone calls and stuff, but we're definitely going to make that happen. While we're kind of on that subject a little bit, let's just talk a little bit of Minnesota BHA, and it could be beyond upland hunting. Like, sure. From your perspective, what are some of the things that you know? as we have a chapter member, a vice chair, the chapter member here, what are some of the things that we're looking on? And I'm asking this for me personally as yep. a Minnesota BHA member, but also the folks listening. Well, policy-wise, we're extremely supportive of Sportsman's for the Boundary Waters and Save the Boundary Waters initiative where they're trying to put a uh, copper nickel sulfide mine mm-hmm. right in the edge of, uh, I think it's Burnside Lake in the Boundary Waters, which, you know, you're talking about a type of mining that has not been successfully done Without an without, without polluting and yeah. causing an accident in any climate, including the arid climates, let alone something with as high of a water table as, as northern Minnesota. And, you know, it, it's not taconite mining. What we're talking about here is a completely different animal. Yep. And it's just too risky. You know, that watershed flows from 
the Boundary Waters, into the Rainy River, into Lake of the Woods. This is a big watershed we're talking about yeah. putting at risk, and I just don't think it's worth it. You know, And so as a board, we've been very supportive of that. The other issues we've looked at over the last two years now, we've had uh, a couple different counties in Minnesota where their county commissioners have voted down land purchases by the state to increase public lands in the state. Uh, Fillmore County, which got uh, overturned. And then Lackaparl County, which is actually the county I've done most of my pheasant hunting in, um, also. That was last fall, That was it? last fall. Yeah. That's yeah. still in the works. There's still a lawsuit over that. Okay. The, the landowner still wants to get that process done. DNR has chosen a different route than what we would have liked to have seen. We would have liked to have seen them take that to the state land board and make a decision. Unfortunately, they've chosen to allow it to play out in courts, and they're forcing the landowner then to take on some of those costs himself. Yeah, so. and that that whole situation essentially counties like saying no net gain of public land in our county. Like the lack of parl one, that is a private landowner approach the state to sell his land there. It's as much a private land issue as it is a public yeah, land issue. Like it's yeah. willing seller, willing buyer. Yeah, why? Correct. Why can a county board tell you who you can or cannot sell your property to? Yep. Like. It's, you know, so. it's, it's just one step away from them demanding the approval of any land sales within the county, and that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of other politics that go on at, at play there. They do have, statistically, outside of the northern counties of Minnesota, they do have more public land than other areas. But they're also one half of the uh, headwaters of the Minnesota River. You know, they've got the Lack Paul River that flows through. They've got Florida Creek that flows out of there. They have a significant amount of water that flows off of that landscape. You know, buffer strips needed to be put in there. We need to slow the water moving off the land. I was in the National Guard in 97 to work the floods that happened in Montevideo. I mean, there was just a cascading rain of floodwaters that went from Montevideo all the way down into the Twin Cities yeah. that year. It was tragic. And then I went back to college in Grand Forks and sandbag there, too. It was, it was a tough year. What are some of the things that you hear, and maybe this question would require, you know, do you talk to a lot of, like, people that are, new members of Backcountry Hunters and Angler in Minnesota. And this can go beyond Upland. What are some of the things that you are seeing people? What's bringing them in? What questions are they asking? What what are the causes that are that are rallying them? Well, I think one of the things that really brings them in is they hear about us yep. on Newberg's podcast, yep. Randy's podcast, and they hear it on the Mediator podcast. And they it's a new generation, a new group of conservationists that yep. realize that Maybe this is more fragile than we thought. Maybe we do need to reach out and make sure these lands are being preserved for us. What can I do is one of the things that, that uh, they ask often. And I say, watch for the emails. When we have an action alert, take action. Yeah. Reach out to your senators when we're looking for help. On uh, March 3rd this year, we're putting out a uh, public lands day. This oh, nice. year, we scaled it back a little bit. Okay. We've been doing a public rally as well. Today, we're just going to do a legislative on that day. So what we're going to do is we're going to help our, our membership and anyone actually in the state that wants to meet with their legislator on March 3rd. We'll help to set up a meeting. Come on down to the Capitol. We'll get you there. You can reach us at Minnesota at backcountryhunters.org, and we can get that set up. So if anybody out there is interested, March 3rd down at the state Capitol, cool. we'll get you in touch with your senators and legislators. And if you have problems or issues, reach out to us. Yep. We'll we'll talk about it and we'll see what we can do. So that'll be that because you've done public lands day twice, right? Two and years in a row. Last year there was a huge blizzard. Well, yeah. <laughs> what, the thing about that was last year there was a huge blizzard. Yep. 
and nearly 200 people right. showed up to support public yeah. lands in 15 inches of snow. Yeah, yeah, 15 inches of snow, like a 30 mile an hour wind, and it was like two degrees outside. Were you there? Yeah. Okay. So I was there. Land was there. Yeah. So. It was. It was an amazing. I was impressed with the turnout. I was, in fact, all of the legislators that we had lined up to speak that day, they showed up and they made it there. So, you know, we've got Senator Kerry Root here in Minnesota who's been very supportive of public lands, and we're happy to have her on board. To your point, you know, so not necessarily Minnesota chapter, but something I see uh, in just in BHA in general uh, is, you know, land talks about this a lot. This organization is all about empowering its members regardless of status. And I think, you know, so, so, you know, our membership, no matter where I've been, I would imagine you have this as well, is, you know, the first email you get is, hey, this is who I am. I want to help. What can I do? Right. You know, like, you know, we're, you know, so we're all younger folks to a certain extent, you know, sitting around this table, the money might not be there, but the passion and the time and the effort is there. And BHA has done a fascinating and a wonderful exemplary job of, we'll give you a job show up at a public lands rally or, or, you know, we'll make it, we'll reduce the threshold resistance for you to email your state legislatures, you know, your, your Congress folks, you know, how do we make that passionate impact and give folks a role? You know, what I was saying earlier, right? Like folks are, you know, attracted to, you know, when they see folks similar to them, you know, doing things and being empowered in those spaces, you look around at like a rendezvous, you know, or, or even a lot of your stuff, Nick with Project Upland, yeah. it's a lot of younger folks. You know, so that's the whole R three conversation, right? Like, yep. you know, bringing it all the way back to what we started yeah. with. You know, if it's if it's all the older dudes, they're like, you have to hunt this way. That doesn't resonate with with folk, with the generations today. You know, and so you know when when people see you know things that they resonate with, and and they're given a task, and they feel like they're contributing, you know, they're they become that much more passionate um, and, and contributory. And, and over and over, people are citing lack of access to hunting land as mm-hmm. the reason they don't take up the sport or they, they stopped. You know, mm-hmm. How do we reactivate those people? How do we encourage them to get out on the public lands? We've got more people in the country. Maybe we need more public lands. We've gotten much better at how we use our soils to make them productive. We certainly can take that less productive land out right? set it aside. It's a reserve. CRP was created as a conservation reserve program. Not only is it there for habitat, that's been a great side piece to it, but it's also there for in case of need, if we need to plant that to feed an army at war someday. Mm-hmm. That, that is one of the reasons that program was, was created. And I think we need to take better advantage of that and remind people of, of, you know, we have vast amount of resources in this country. We don't need to use them all up. We don't need to sell them today when we can keep them for tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people get that. Yeah, it's, it's like the whole... Theodore Roosevelt thing, greatest use for the greatest amount of people for the longest amount of time. Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, into perpetuity. We have all these things. We need to keep them around so that we can use them for perpetuity. Not, you know. Yeah, I think something that resonates with me and Lan says this all the time, but he says, you know, this public lands experiment is kind of in its infancy. And it's not something that is... It's not some proven model that's been around for ages. You know, this is, we're still figuring out exactly the best way to maximize, you know, the resource and Mm -hmm. the recreation value on these lands, how to, how to use them, how to allow multi, multiple groups of people that have different interests and competing interests, how to, how to use it all. And it's, it all, that all starts with paying attention, being aware and 
having a conversation and having being exactly. involved in these discussions because if you're not involved in the discussion you're left behind right yeah you're already out of the discussion Correct. if you're not going to stand up and say hey hey i want in on this yeah, yeah. put me at the table Yep. Yeah, exactly. And what we know to that, like to that point, right? Like, so the public lands experiment. What we know is that the private lands European model experiment is not for us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So how do we figure that out? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The public lands battle cry has certainly probably gathered, you know, some of the most energy like in this space that we've seen in the last in the last few years, and it's really cool to see because the public lands, you know, we often AJ and I joke all the time, upland hunting is a niche with with inside a niche, and yeah. the public lands piece goes way beyond that and it's that's like that's the bridge between all of our different mm-hmm. pursuits and we find the common ground and that's how we make progress you know exactly the shared passions and we can relate to each other and that's how we actually get stuff done which is cool yeah, yeah it was I, I was walking through the show this morning with my wife and she was wearing a public landowner t-shirt yeah. and, and we walked by one of the dog handlers or the dog yeah. readers yeah. and uh we're sitting there he stops and he says excuse me what does that shirt mean and I go, oh, well, public landowner, we're all public landowners. You know, as an American, we own 640 million acres across this country as, of the Amer- as American people. We get to use that land. The guy was from Colorado. He'd never heard it put that way. His eyes lit up. He's like, wow, you need to get that Colorado chapter out there getting those T-shirts out really? sold. That's what he told me. <laughs> I was like. And, like, that's the kind of thing. That's one of like, our larger chapters. Right? Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, if people aren't having it like you know brought to them a bunch of times like it's what marketing it's like seven you have to hear something seven, seven times, times yeah yeah yep. yeah it's like you need to get in front of those people and yep. like that's one of the things i really like about events like this and other events like when you and i were up in uh, duluth where we have multiple different organizations working to get in front of each other's members in like correct you bring together those groups and people can be like, oh, there's that and that. And like, you can start really like growing, you know, growing everybody's membership. And there's a level of shared, you know, if one conservation group member comes to a, comes to an event where there's another conservation group, they've already expressed interest in a con in conservation. So it's very easy for them to just step their foot across the line, straddle the line and, you yeah, know, exactly. bridge that gap between the two because they've already expressed interest. So obviously yeah, strategic exactly. partnerships like that are very important. One of the best messages I've heard on that, I was listening to another podcast one day and uh, the president of First Light and Sitka were on this podcast. And I believe it was the First Light president. He said, you know, conservation is not a competition. They were talking about how these two competing clothing companies could sit down in the same room and have this conversation because they're talking about conservation and they both have a common interest there because without those public lands, without those people out there hunting, they don't have that business. They don't have a customer. They have to come together and work on that. And, and that, that's something that I find, you know, every time we do an event in the Twin Cities, there's somebody from PF there. Yep. I mean, the corporate headquarters is here, so we run into those guys all the time. We run into them everywhere. Yep. You know, in fact, Bob helped us get our stuff to Duluth because we didn't have anybody that could make it up there. Right. So I drove up to PF, <laughs> yeah. dropped our stuff off there, and it was taken up there for us. Yeah. You know, that and I, and I know you didn't have to ask Bob twice to do nope. that. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the big mantra that I tout a lot is rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. Exactly. And this is the the quintessential example of that. You know, even in the south, 
you know, so we're having big conversations about quail down there and, and particularly in the southeast, like quail are hurting, right? But then, you know, here comes RGS and American Woodcock Society and, and they're wanting to be in that space too. And what's good for quail is good for woodcock and vice versa in the southeast, yeah. you know. Uh, and so, so how do we bring this, this together, right? Like then that's been a big theme, the collaboration piece with the public lands pavilion, right? Like you oh, were yeah. saying earlier, to have those four heavy hitters on a stage yep. and all be sharing the same message. You know, you know, it's it's amazing. You know, being around this space for for almost ten years to all of a sudden see them all all instead of you know all being in our silo and stay in your lane and we yeah. don't crosswalk. Like, no, let's all get around the table and figure this out together. Exactly. There's four or five different groups down there handing out seeds for po- pollinator grasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a whole section in there for pollinators this year. You know, those pieces are important to our food supply. Yep. Without pollination, we don't eat. Absolutely. Yeah. Without are without those pollinators our quarry doesn't eat yeah yeah it's the the collaboration and partnerships is super important like you know you have a much larger voice when you combine all the organizations to talk about something than when if you're just like piecemealing things together um like siloing like you know there's always been partnering partnerships and all that kind of stuff but i feel like there's a lot less siloing going on. I feel, yeah, it feels refreshing. Yeah. It, it just seems like what's happening right now is what needs to be happening at this time. Yeah, exactly. All right, gentlemen. Well, I, I know we're going to have to be tearing down booths quick, so we're, we're going to wrap this up shortly. We're going to do a little Project Dublin kind of lightning round questions here. Matt, we'll start with you. First question, shotgun. You're going upland bird hunting. What's the shotgun that you grab? More often than not. Oh, I've got a Beretta 390 that my dad wanted a Ducks Unlimited banquet back in 98. So I've got that. And then... Uh, 12 gauge? 12 gauge, yeah. All right. Yeah, 12 gauge. For sure. Jason? I, uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I do like all the things. I'm kind of a generalist. My, uh, my shotgun, my go-to shotgun actually for bird hunting is uh, a shotgun I got from my grandfather when he died. And it was a, it's a Winchester 1200 pump shotgun. Nice. So it's like, you know, it's, it's real old, but super smooth. 12 gauge? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Mike? I've, I've rolled pretty heavy with my bread of BL4. That's my, that's my go-to. But if I'm waterfowling or I want to do something different, I use What's the uh, BL4? It's the, uh, the predecessor to the 686. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So uh, it's got a real light. It's, you know, my it's a twelve gauge. It's seven pounds, twenty six inch barrels, fixed IC three, mod. Three twelve gauges. That might be the yeah. first for the project. <laughs> we, you talk to a lot of hip uplanders. You yeah. Know, so it's like, so yeah. It's I mean, realize. I want to get into this. You say uplander. But. I'm a pheasant hunter. I come from pheasant country. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken so many of my friends out there where I've been the backup shooter. I'm putting lead out there at a at a great distance yep. at times, yep. but I do have. A sweet little grouse gun that you guys might be jealous of. Okay. Um, I bought from a friend of mine a Browning Satori over and under 20 gauge with 24 inch barrels and an English. It's an Upland special. Oh. Yep, I have the same gun. Yep. Be still my heart. Favorite. You use it? Uh, I haven't used it in a couple of years, but it was the first double gun that I ever bought. And I always wanted a Browning Satori with a straight grip. English yeah, it's, stock. It's, it is a. The only trouble with it is it's really easy to stop swinging when you shoot. Yes. It's yeah, so light. Especially for you as a pheasant hunter. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. That and and those short barrels were in vogue for a long time. Now they're way out of vogue. Now yeah. it's longer yeah. barrels. You know, twenty twenty yeah. eights. Even even people raise an eyebrow at twenty six inch barrels these days. It's like a lot of people yeah. want twenty eights. But I shot my Satori Upland Special pretty well. I sh- I shot some grouse with that gun. I love taking that yeah. thing through the grouse woods. It's because yeah. it's easy. It, it doesn't wand. get caught on stuff. You're not walking through, and all of a sudden it tips your over back over your head. It's, yep. It's, yeah. It's an easy handling gun. The guy in my hunting group has one, and he calls it the baby Satori. Yeah, and every yeah. time we end the day, like when we're getting in the truck, he always like opens the drawer and double checks it's in the case because he's always terrified that we're going to throw it in one of the other trucks and, <laughs> and only pass it between the three of us. Yeah, mine is somebody. I'm pretty sure. I don't think they made a youth model in that. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure somebody hacked the stock off mm-hmm. and then they added like a one inch rubber pad. And then for me to shoot it, because it's still short, for me to yeah. shoot it, I would have like a a one inch slip on rubber pad oh, and yeah. I can shoot it, bring it out to 14 and a half. But basically I have my son's first shotgun in that, you know, I'll take yeah. the pad off and I could, it could yeah. be as short as it needs to be, but I think that'd be a pretty good gun for him to start with. So, all right. Second question, boots. You're going out in the uplands, in the woods. What, what pair of boots do you strap on? Oh man. I can't even remember. Right now I've got a, a pair of boots that's not made anymore. But I was able to pick Did up. Did you buy two at the time? Or no, something? unfortunately okay. not because they weren't cheap. I've got a pair of uh, Loa Uplanders. Okay. Yep. And I think they actually came out of the Task Force line of boots. They were designed mm-hmm. based off of a boot for the Marine Corps. Yep. And so they just don't make them anymore. And uh, so, but I've hunted in Setters. Yep. Um, LL Bean for a long time made a boot that had a, uh, uh, it was a mesh sided boot with a cap toe. Yep. And they looked a lot like uh, old Army jump boots. Which those are fantastic. Those are some of my favorites. So it, it just really, I'm still looking for the perfect pair that of boots. Everybody is, and that's you know? why we asked the question. You know, Jason, yeah. uh, I actually wear a pair of gum leafs, man. Uh, it's the only rubber boot I've ever worn that I can walk like 15 miles in a day, and my feet are fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I went on crazy grouse hunt out on some islands in the middle of Lake Michigan this year, and we yeah. were putting on. 10 to 15 miles a day through what like some pretty serious grouse cover yep. and uh feet felt fine what during. model gum leaves do you have uh whatever it is the uh the uninsulated ones i'm trying to remember what okay so the like the field wellies yeah yeah, yeah. the field wellies yeah yep uh, yeah they're fantastic love yeah. them Mike? So I roll two uh i have the gum leaf zip ups i'm a huge fan I, between yeah. uh between you know grouse hunting or pheasant hunting and wet cover and then then training dogs and judging you know those are fantastic but then if i need a lace-up i have i roll a ken of trucks got it all right minnesota bha where should people go what do they want how do they get in touch with you and or minnesota BHA? minnesota at backcountryhunters.org is a direct link to us you can also go to the minnesota page at uh, backcountryhunters.org and find out what events we've got going locally um, that's the easiest way to do it good deal man yeah go to backcountryhunters.org um highly recommend all these folks here uh, i don't know if you'll be there but i definitely look into uh coming out to rendezvous out in missoula Absolutely. this year it's a trip. It's probably the go, uh, i'm still trying to figure out my schedule for that because gotcha. i'm going to lake of the woods on my annual fishing trip with my yeah. dad on the monday following that what are the dates jason that would be june three four three five. four five okay. i believe okay. i like i really want to be there this year but i can't because my Ooh. daughter graduates high school that saturday and uh i like my kid liking me and i like being <laughs> married so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i hear you you're on you're on instagram aren't you yes um uh, at meekoff.j got it mike 
Yeah. Uh, so for North Carolina BHA, same, you know, same thing, North Carolina at backcountry, uh, hunters.org. Um, go check out the, the, uh, BHA website and find us or our at NCBHA on Instagram. Uh, for me personally, you can find me at M Nadusky. That's N E I D U S K I. Thank you for my Polish heritage for the goofy name, uh, on Instagram and then, uh, at Navda International there too cool. to get any Navda information. Uh, we're yeah. on we're on Instagram and Twitter as well. Minnesota underscore uh, BHA underscore MN. Yes. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. And you can find backcountry hunters and anglers on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Just yeah. search backcountry hunters and anglers, and it'll pop up in a heartbeat. Yep. So good deal, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Project Oven Podcast. I'm going to let these gentlemen get back to their team so they can tear down their booths. Thanks, guys. Have Thanks. a great day. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks for having us. That's it for this episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. Quick reminder, the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonubo Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, CZ USA, Turnbull Restoration, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget, you could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is leave us a rating. Leave the podcast a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, or send us some feedback or guest suggestion. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.